Hey, I'm going to stand over here a little bit so that I can uh, look at the uh, screen without like turning around and showing you my best side. Uh, if you have the Bible app, uh, the version Bible app on your Bibles or on your devices, your phones or whatever, you, you get to uh, see the cartoon that I, I'm, I'm going to talk about. I love cartoons. They take two things that I really enjoy. That is reading, short, succinct things, and pictures. You could say that I'm still back in the Sea Jack, Sea Jill, Sea Jack Jill. No, wait, that's not that's not the way the book went. Sea the ball, Sea Jack kept the ball. That's the way the book went. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I love those things. So this is. There's a cartoon uh, that I, I remember every single year at Easter time. Uh, Aaron and I had this conversation about uh, Palm Sunday. There, there's some Sundays where you just really, uh, Christmas Sunday, Palm Sunday, and Easter Sunday. I mean, what are you going to preach about? Christmas, you're going to preach about Jesus in a manger. Palm Sunday, you're going to preach about Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. And on Easter Sunday, you're going to preach about Jesus. the resurrection. So here's this guy. He's walking out of church with his wife on an Easter Sunday morning. And he says, hey, Reverend, you're in a rut. Every time I come here, you talk about the resurrection. <laughs> So, uh, I resemble that remark. I am in a rut. Uh, this is Easter Sunday, and I'm going to talk about the resurrection. Um, in fact, if I talked about something else, you'd probably be uh, surprised. Uh, but before we talk about the resurrection, I want to talk about my second favorite holiday, Christmas. Yeah, I'm going to go there. Uh, at our house, no Christmas season is complete until Connie and I watch three movies. White Christmas, at least once, It's a Wonderful Life, and my favorite, The Muppets Christmas Carol. Yes. Now, everybody has seen some version, or maybe you have even gone so far as to read some version of uh, Charles Dickens' book, A Christmas Carol, the story of Stingy Scrooge and his transformation into a generous man who learned how to celebrate Christmas all year long. Um, the re one of the reasons I like the Muppets is, well, because they're the Muppets. And two, because they do some stuff that is actually in the book that, that's not made it into any of the other movies as far as I know. The book starts with something like this, lines like this. Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatever about that. Old Marley was as dead as a doornail. There's no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm about to relate. I'm going to ask you to allow me some poetic license. I'm going to borrow Charles Dickens' words and make them appropriate for Easter. Jesus was dead to begin with. There is no doubt about that. Jesus was as dead as a doornail. 
there is no doubt that Jesus was dead and buried. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. Jesus was dead to begin with. Let that sink in. Most of us have some concept of what it means to lose a loved one. We know what it means when somebody's dead, right? Jesus was dead. Not kind of dead. Not maybe dead. 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 Jesus was dead to begin with. He tells us... It, it, tells us that uh, Joseph of Arimathea, the record tells us a guy named Joseph and another guy named Nicodemus, Jewish leaders who had not supported the decision to kill Jesus because they actually were trying to follow him, uh, came, they took Jesus off the cross, they took him to a tomb, they buried him, and the women from Galilee, the women who had been following Jesus and helping him and supporting him, they followed, they saw where his body was placed. I'm just going to pause for a moment. There are people who actually will tell you that the reason they went to an empty tomb, found an empty tomb on, the, on Sunday morning is that they forgot where he was buried. How many of you have forgotten where you put somebody? When you put them in Floral Gardens or some other cemetery, do you remember where it's at? It may take you a while to figure out all the through the maze, but you don't you know where they're at. They didn't forget. They went home and prepared some spices and some ointments to anoint his body, um, but it was time for the Sabbath, so they did what the law said and they took a break. I want you to understand this. Jesus was flogged, which in and of itself killed some people. He was beaten mercilessly by two different squads of soldiers. He was crucified. That's capital punishment. And then just to make sure that he really was dead, one of the soldiers impaled him on a spear and punctured his heart. Jesus was dead to begin with. Remember this. He was as dead as a doornail. There is no doubt about it. And we have to understand that or the rest of this story will not be as wonderful and as powerful as it is. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with them, or if you're following along on your devices, I'm going to be in John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. There are four, <coughs> excuse me, there are four records of Jesus' life uh, that are collected and compiled in our uh, Bibles. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them have big reference to this day that we're about to talk about. And the stories are uh, very similar. They support each other very well. 
It's like four different witnesses giving their testimonies. John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Early on the first day, early on the first day of the week, which is, by the way, Sunday. Early on a Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. And that was probably John. He kind of referred in this gospel, in this record of Jesus' life, he keeps referring to the disciple Jesus loved. And we kind of get the impression that he was talking about himself. So she runs to Peter and John, and she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, if we take this in account with the others, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, they also record there were some other women, and they all went to see the apostles. And uh, I'm going to tell you, how many of you know how men respond to women who are crying and blubbering? <laughs> they don't understand, do they? Like, guys, let's just confess. We don't. When a woman standing, do you understand? What? I have three daughters, five granddaughters. Well, the youngest one doesn't count because she's not. She she screams, but she doesn't, you know, blubber yet. But I don't get it. All these guys are standing there looking at Mary, going, oh, "What? What's she talking about?" When the women told the disciples about the empty tomb. The guys did not believe them because their words seemed like nonsense. So Peter and the other disciple, again, probably John, Peter and John started for the tomb. Now we get a little indication of John's personality. He's my kind of guy. Both were running, but the other disciple, in other words, me, John speaking, in other words, John outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Peter was slow. But I ain't. John's got a little bit of a competitive streak into it in him. He got there, he bent over and he looked at the strips of linen lying there but did not go in. I mean, it's a cave and it's dark and it is a tomb. Then Simon Peter came. He came along behind again. I was there first, right? Uh, Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Why? Because Peter was always the first one to do anything and say anything. He would act and then go, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Oh, that was something I should never have said. Uh, that's Peter. He goes straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. As well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. 
Finally, the other disciple, who realized that Peter didn't drop dead when he went in there, must be okay to go in. But finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, by the way, <coughs> also went inside. He saw and believed. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. For years, I thought that meant John believed Jesus had been raised from the dead. That's not what it meant. He believed Mary was right. They did steal it. Why? Why would he believe that? Because dead people don't go anywhere. Jesus was dead to begin with. He confirmed, Peter and John confirmed the women's report. The tomb was essentially empty, not quite. The, the cloths were, the, the grave clothes were still there. The linens were still there. The spices that he had been wrapped in were still there. And I'm pretty sure they probably were starting to go, well, what kind of weird grave robber would strip this stuff off of the Lord's body and then take him and leave this? This stuff has spices in it. It tells us in one place that they put 75 pounds worth of spice on him. 75 pounds. Now, I know you can get a little bit of cinnamon over at Myers or anywhere else, you know, like a few ounces for a buck. That's generic cinnamon that you really have no idea where it came from. Anyway, that's... Who would leave 75 pounds of expensive spices behind to take a dead body? This doesn't make sense. But they knew the tomb was empty. The body was gone. What had happened? Why would somebody steal a dead body and leave the grave clothes behind? Luke tells us that Peter went away wondering what had happened. What's going on? This is weird. And just in case you're not sure that I'm, you know, about my interpretation of what John believed, John wrote this next sentence. They still did not understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Hmm. He still didn't get it. His words. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. You see, nobody expected to find nobody in the tomb. I, I stole that from another preacher. I, it was just too good. Nobody expected to find nobody in the tomb. There was no one standing there. You saw this on Facebook yesterday. I don't know if you noticed, but yesterday was four, three, two, one. All kinds of people talking, oh, it's counting down to Easter. Guess what was not going on outside Jesus' tomb on the first Easter Sunday morning? No one was standing there going, 10, 9, 8, 7. Nobody. The guys weren't there at all, just to point that out. And the women came only because they wanted to finish the embalming process. Yeah. 
because they saw what Peter, uh, what uh, Nicodemus and, and uh, Joseph had done and realized, well, <laughs> poor guys, <laughs> they need some help. We need to fix that. That's the only reason they were there. Nobody expected to find nobody in the tomb. The only ones who went there went there to find the body. Just get this. Jesus was dead to begin with. The only disciples outside that tomb didn't come to greet Jesus, their living Savior. They went to anoint their dead teacher. The disciples went back to where they were staying. We all know this. When a loved one passes away, life goes on. Does it make sense? It's really weird. It's really different. But we just go back to what we've been doing. So here's a sermon in a sentence. I want you to get a hold of this because this is this is really basically under for our understanding of the whole Easter event. That is dead body state where you leave them. It's occurred to me that there are only two stages in life where you can put somebody down and expect them to be in the same place ten minutes later. They gotta be a little like Nora. Smaller. She's smaller, she's starting to squirm already. Okay, pre-squirmers. You know, scooters, the ones that get around. Yeah, when they're really little newborns, you can put them down and you can come back and find them. Once they start figuring out how to squirm around, it's all over. And now the other time is when they're dead. Dead people don't move. Dead bodies stay where you leave them unless something really unusual happens. The disciples left, all except for one. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she left, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? I have to pause and explain this because I got in trouble once for calling my wife that. (laughs) Ain't never happened since. I may look dumb, but I'm not that dumb. What, what, calling her woman was not a disrespectful way of addressing her. It was more like us saying, excuse me, ma'am. Excuse me, miss. Why are you crying? Mary answers them. They have taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they have put him. Dead bodies stay where you put them. Mm-hmm. Unless something unusual happens. And Mary assumed that the something unusual was some weirdo came and stole her body. Mm-hmm. 
she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Well, why would she? The last time she saw Jesus, he was dead as a doornail. And you turn around and you see somebody standing here, don't expect it to be a dead person or a person who was dead. And he says to her, Jesus asked her, woman, excuse me, ma'am, miss, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Because I'm going to put him back where he belongs. Jesus said to her, Mary, he called her by name. Not this Magdalene. Mary? She turned and she saw and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. If you look at that carefully, you can see rabbi. Jewish rabbis. So here's the question. Jesus' body is missing. The tomb is empty except for the grave clothes. So what? Let's keep this in mind. Dead bodies stay where you leave them unless something unusual happens. And Jesus is the master of doing something unusual. He's the master of doing things we don't expect. Jesus was dead to begin with. There is no doubt about it. He was as dead as a doornail. There is no doubt that Jesus was dead and buried. This must be distinctly understood. But what I'm about to tell you can't come. Nothing wonderful can come from this story. Jesus came to Mary Magdalene. Jesus came. She did not see a ghost. She did not hallucinate. She grabbed a hold of Jesus' living, breathing, walking, talking body. You can't grab onto a dream, a hallucination, a mirage, a ghost. You only can grab a hold of living people. Mary clung to him like she would never let him go. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and stand to my brothers. I have a job for you. <laughs> I, can, I, I don't know what her first thoughts were, but I, I can imagine that she might have thought something like this. You have got to be kidding me. You were dead, and now you're alive, and you want me to go somewhere? You want me to go talk to those guys that told me I was nuts? 
But he says, go to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Even though he was dead to begin with, Jesus is alive. And he comes to us. In many ways, Mary's experience summarizes what God wants to do, what Jesus wants to do for every single human being. It's what he does. Jesus comes to us. He doesn't wait for us to find our way to him. He always takes the first step and the second step and however many steps it takes to find us. Jesus comes to us. He comes to us gently. Excuse me, man. Excuse me, sir. Can I help you? And he calls us by name. Calls us by our name, not by our problems, not by our issues. Mary had, by the way, Mary Magdalene had had a lot of issues. Early in her life, Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. Now, there's all kinds of confusion and, and discussion about what does it mean to have seven demons living in you. But I think at the very least we could say she had severe mental issues. Psychological problems. Way beyond anything. And he fixed it. But he doesn't come to her and say, hey, psycho. He doesn't come to us and say, hey, cynic. Hey, doubter. He comes to us and calls us by name. Hey, Mark. Hey, Debbie. Calls us by name. Hey, Mary. He doesn't rebuke us. He doesn't criticize us. He simply calls us by name. And he comes to us tenderly. And in the process of us turning to him when he calls us by name, we recognize who he is. He opens our eyes to understand, to recognize who he is, and he empowers us to see who we are and who we can be and who we should be and who he wants us to be. He always comes to us. Now, all religions agree on one thing. At least as far as I can tell you. All religions agree that there's a gap, a disconnect between humans and God. Now, every religion kind of describes God differently, um, but every one of them has this understanding. There's a disconnect between us and God, the divine. 
And nearly all religions teach us how to bridge that gap. This is what you need to do. They say you can reconnect by following Buddha's Eightfold Path, or living by Islam's Five Pillars, or obeying the Ten Commandments, or some other system. And the primary problem with this is approach is that first of all, it puts all the, all the responsibility on us to fix something we broke, and in the process we broke ourselves, and you're never really going to know if you've connected until you die. And then, it's a little late, don't you think? Have I done enough? Have I followed the pillars? Uh, you know, live by the five pillars, right? Have I done the eightfold path correctly? Have I really, really, really obeyed the Ten Commandments? Oh no, there was that one time. I stubbed my toe in the middle of the night and said some stuff that I'm pretty sure doesn't quite fit. But Jesus comes to us. He bridges the gap for us. His way is not what you'd expect. What you'd expect is dead bodies leave, stay where you leave them. Unless, of course, something unusual happens. And in his case, something very unusual happened. He came back. He rose to life again and comes to us. Jesus comes to us so that we can know right here, right now, that we are connected with him. God is reconnected with us. We can live knowing God is for us because Jesus came to us and came out of that tomb for us. The event we're talking about happened 2,000 years ago. And it's being celebrated all around the world today. It started whenever the sun crossed the date line over there close to Hawaii. And it has been going on ever since. It's going to keep going. The Easter celebration is going to keep going until the sun gets back there. All around the world, we've been celebrating the resurrection 2,000 years why are we still talking about this guy there were scores of other messiahs in the hundred years or so around Jesus in his life they're, they're mentioned as footnotes in some of the ancient historians but they're we don't talk about them. Why are we still talking about Jesus? His story isn't worth telling except for the fact that Jesus was dead to begin with. But he was alive to end with. His story is only worth telling because of the resurrection. 
Jesus is alive. There's no doubt about it. Now, we, you, you and I may never understand how that works. Because let's be honest, as far as I know, He's the only one. So 99.9999999999999999 however many nines it takes to cover all but one human being who ever lived. When a person's dead, they're dead. Except for Jesus. You and I may never understand this. We'll never be able to explain it to some people. There will be people who ask questions we'll never be able to understand or explain and answer. We may have questions that we will never have answered until that day when we stand in front of Him face to face. Or maybe it'll be more like Mary grabbing His feet. I don't know. But I want you to understand this. I don't want you to be surprised when you hear him call your name. Mm -hmm. Don't be surprised when you hear him gently and tenderly call your name. And when you do, just do what Mary did. Recognize him. He'll help you. You may not understand everything, you don't have to explain everything, but you'll see him if you want to you'll under recognize him and you can receive his love that'll change you from the inside out and then you'll be able to share your story because that's one of the things that happens when jesus resurrection transforms us we have a story to tell and just like mary he says to us go tell him go tell them what i did Let's pray. Jesus, when we stand next to your empty tomb, we don't always feel the joy of the resurrection. But you already know that, don't you? Sometimes we feel empty like Mary. Grief floods our lives and we just feel the loss that we face at death. Like Peter and, and, and John, we're, we're tempted to go home wondering what happened when we look at your empty tomb and, and we don't stop to ask questions and seek answers. When we stand by your tomb, we feel fear and doubt. And, well, because dead people just stay dead. Everybody knows that, right? Well, except for you, Jesus. Jesus, you come to us and help us overcome the fears that paralyze us on the brink of something new and unexplainable. Turn our doubts into unshakable confidence in your love for us. Fill our emptiness with peace and joy. King Jesus, raise us to live with you right here and right now. Not because we want to be special, but because we long to see you receive honor and glory every single day. We want you to be celebrated. 
Not just on Easter, but all the time. Teach us to love others as you love us until everyone wants to be a part of that and wants to join your family when you call them by name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you uh, all for being here, either on site or online. If you haven't already done so, you can uh, join the Champions of Hope uh, Facebook group for the church. Uh, you, we have some unique content that we put in there and uh, opportunities to connect with other people who are trying to infuse the folks around us with the hope of Jesus. So if you're a Jesus follower, I want to encourage you to take your marching orders from a prayer by Francis of Assisi. Whether it's in your heart or in your community, where there's hatred, spread God's amazing love. Where there's hurt, propagate pardon. Where there is doubt, plant seeds of faith. Where there's despair, infuse hope. Where there's darkness, shine Jesus' light. Where there's sadness, circulate joy. Our mission is clear. You're sent. Go with Jesus.